Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name is Dan O'Rourke and I'm in studio with two of my best buds. Good morning, Ron Huntley. How you doing, buddy? Great. Thank you, Dan. It's good to see you. And it's good to see you as well, Father James. Good to be seen. Excellent. So guys, uh, at our parish... There's a number of things that we do in a given year, and just recently we did a um, a leadership summit, and that got me thinking a little bit about the, the the differences between volunteers and leaders, and and how do we understand sort of the difference between a volunteer culture and a leadership culture. So I wanted to kick off this conversation, but before I kick it off with with sort of a definition in terms, I wanted to kick it off with how I think a lot of priests would experience this this question. If they're stepping into leadership at a parish or if they're deciding that they're going to mobilize their parish in a new and different way. They've inherited all sorts of of leaders. Uh, They've got people inside of their parishes running ministries. But some of them might be a good fit. Some of them might be not such a good fit. What would you say to to a leader or a parish priest or pastor who's stepping into that kind of a role? I don't know any priests that aren't stepping into that role. Like, honestly, like, that is the culture of the church. And so the question is, is that the culture we want? And if not, how do we get from here to there? How do we change it? How do we shift it from, from doing ministry to leading ministry? And that's a really fun question. It's a really fun challenge, too. And it's exactly what we faced at St. Benedict Parish, wasn't it, when we... Yeah. I, mean, I think you know, the, the, the question is, you know, in terms of the image of stepping into it, it's the decision to, to go in a missionary direction, mm-hmm. to mobilize I think every single priest is in that situation. The question is, are you making a decision to go in a different direction? And it can happen two different ways. You can, you can come into a parish as a new leader and you inherit something or within the parish that you've been in there for a number of years and you feel a call and you make a decision to go in a different direction. Now you've got to deal not just with what you inherited, but what you've also created. <laughs> what you uh, built, yeah. What, what, what you've built. And often <laughs> what you've built, you know, it has not been by intention. It's just, it's just happened. And typically, um, most parishes find themselves uh, drowning in busyness. There's a lot of activities and there's a lot of time and energy goes into maintaining ministries that are, you know, most ministries do really good work, mm-hmm. but ministries that are that are poorly led. Um, and, and we can, I think we should break that open. What does Me it mean too. to actually lead a ministry? But often we're, it's, we're trying to we're keeping ministries on life support, really, and it's a constant drain. And, and if anyone's listening who works in, in parish life, you all know this. Uh, either the the leader of the or the the person who's supposedly the leader of the ministry quits and basically comes back and says, "Okay, Father, um, I, I can't do this anymore." So basically, you can have it back now, <laughs> which means they've never owned it to begin with, and and it's it reveals an underlying clericalism in the church that basically says fundamentally. Uh, the mission of the church is owned by the priest. And if the lay person is involved, they're just doing it as a favor for father. It, yeah. it's, and it's in a sense, it's been delegated to them uh, by by the priest. I, but a month ago, I was in Paris and I was interviewed by um, some TV station thing. And, uh, and the lady asked me about uh, delegating ministry to lay, lay people. And I said, about de- delegating evangelization. And I said, well, if that doesn't need to be delegated. I mean, technically <laughs> speaking, there is a place for delegation. But when things that are specific to priestly ministry are shared by lay people, that's, a, that's an act of delegation because they're participating in what is proper to priestly ministry. But the life of the baptized is the life of the baptized. <laughs> it doesn't need to be delegated. There needs to be co-responsibility. We need to we need to share t- together, and there needs to be a collaboration. 
But it's but you don't need as a priest, you don't need the priest permission to be a follower of Jesus to live that out in your life. Mm. Yeah. So it's not a question of delegation. Um, so the question then is, how do we see people own their baptismal identity and step into the to to the call that they have from God? so that we could begin to see a, a parish mobilized. So most of our parishes, that, I mean, you know, the people who are, are, are serving it, most of them would, would be volunteers. So aren't you delegating to me if I'm a volunteer? Aren't you, aren't you saying, you know, I'm delegating these responsibilities to you? You're willing to step up, and so here are the responsibilities? You can, and I think that's, that's a way to do it. I don't think that's the best way to do it. That's certainly not what we propose in Divine Renovation as a ministry. We're, we're inviting leaders to recognize what's, what's required and seek people of capacity and invite them to something amazing, to use all their gifts, dreams, passions, skills, and everything else and apply them to something to make something crazy God-sized happen in whatever it is where the opportunity lies. That's very different from delegating responsibility. See, see, delegation says the responsibility for this is my, it's my responsibility, and for whatever reason I cannot do it, I'm going to ask you to do it on my behalf. That's the language of delegation. And in some cases, it's very appropriate in parish life because of the ministry that's particular to, to a priest. But in living out the baptismal calling, that this is a big problem. If we continue to think of it as a delegation, then what we're saying is that the entire life of the church is caught up in the person of the priest. He is the only person who has responsibility for the mission. And that's, since the Second Vatican Council, something that we've been trying to break away from. Is this idea that that the the mission is owned by the ordained? Here's the thing: like the baptized are, we have different roles, but the baptized are no less responsible for the mission of Jesus Christ than that than are the ordained. And so, you can't have co-responsibility and delegation at the same time. Either we're co-responsible, and if we are, then you don't need to delegate it. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a, a flow of accountability because the priest, the pastor, is still going to be the leader. And you need to, you need to, we need to be in communion with each other. There needs mm-hmm. to be trust. There needs to be a level of accountability. It's, it's not delegation. It's activation. I want to Ooh. activate what, what's in you. And mm-hmm. we want to do it from, from, from the gifts that God has given you and the call that God has put in your heart. And that's what we began to see at St. Benedict Parish when we invited our people in the position of leading ministries to actually step into it as leaders, to see themselves as leaders, not just schedulers, not just doing Father a favor, but own mm. your ministry, mm. own it. Let it have a vision for your ministry that burns in your heart. Like, step into it. You know, uh, Ron, say more about this. <laughs> you, you were with me when we did this. Well, one of the things, as you're saying, one of the biggest mistakes I, and temptations people have as priests and their leadership team as they start down this road is they realize what we're talking about and they get really excited about it. They buy into it. It speaks to their heart. It makes sense in terms of where they want to go. And then they look at the people they currently have and they go, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Actually, some of those people are my biggest detractors. Yes, They're not really my leaders. And so they want to create a leadership summit like you talked about, Dan, like we just had one at St. Benedict Parish. They want to create something like that, but they don't want to invite the people they've already allowed to lead for the roles. Yeah, and I said, big mistake. Don't do that. Might be tempting because all of a sudden they see how big people's hearts and dispositions and attitudes are and willingness, how, how important that is to the success they want to have in the direction they want to go. And so they want to pretend these people don't exist, start something new beside it. 
yes. which is completely disrespectful. And to be honest with you, it's not these people's fault. That's right. You've invited right. them to do something. They've been faithful as heck, even if they're backbiting and, 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 and undermining what you're doing behind the scenes. But that's the bed you made. We have to invest in them that's and right. give them a chance and invite them to something more. And I, there's a process. Absolutely. We've got, I think of the, the parable of the, the fig tree, you know, they, there was no fruit and the guy was like, okay, I'm going to chop it down. It was like, no, let give it another season. Let's put down some fertilizer, fertilizer yeah. and see what happens. And if, after investing, if it doesn't bear any fruit, then we, then we can ch chop it down. You've, this is such a radical shift in thinking. Even, even, even the idea of supporting ministries, because mm. one of the things when, when we began to lead at St. Benedict Parish, we ended up what, with like 70 or 80 ministries and like probably 60% of them were just floating out there. They were mm. absolutely unsupported. There was no and they accountability. Were <laughs> yeah, and they're all doing their own thing and everyone's <laughs> making a demand of the bandwidth of the, of the leadership. And, you know, the only way that uh, I kind of, uh, you know, we talk about low control, high accountability, Mm -hmm. I mean, th 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 those are your options. E either if, if you're, the only way a parish is going to flourish and you're going to mm -hmm. unleash the, the, the missionary potential of, of your church is low control. You, mm -hmm. you can't control it. If you try to, if you exercise your leadership as a bottle, as, as, as controlling everything, mm -hmm. you'll be a bottleneck as mm -hmm. opposed to being a bottle opener. Mm -hmm. So you've got to have low control, but which means we need high accountability. We need, we need ministries that are tied in, ministries that are supported, uh, ministry leaders who support the vision. Ron, but what would you say would be uh, the ideal qualities of a parishioner who leads a ministry? What, what, would, what would that look like? You know, I think Patrick Lencioni wrote a book not that long ago to help uh, the business world recruit new people, the ultimate team player, and he talked about humble, hungry, and smart. Yeah. And of, of those three, when he says smart, he means people smart. Uh, but of those three, the most important is humility. You know, we often use the term or the acronym FACT that we got from Tanya Rogerson when she came over from Catholic Christian Outreach. And she, and she worked with us on staff for, for three, four years. Yeah, and she taught us that faithful, available, contagious, and teachable. So that, that, that lens with which we could share with others so that we could help others uh, or we could empower others to help us identify great leaders. And those tools are really helpful you know, whether it's Patrick Lencioni or, or CCO, that those two acronyms are really helpful to begin to help us to see what we're looking for. Because I think the church historically has overvalued the A. Mm. Uh, the, yes. You know, are available. they available? available. And, yeah. and so you're, it's like, okay, finally, I got somebody doing I know they're not doing a great job. I know they're chronically cranky. I know they're, they're undermining other things. I know. They're controlling. They, they yeah, they gossip. A, they do all those other things. But at least I, that's one less thing guys, I need to worry is, about. But if they ever quit, what would we do? But this is a real tension. Like, this, like let's let's pull it out a little bit because this is a real tension. There are priests listening right now who have ministries that they're being led by someone that the main qualifier is that they are an A. They are available, and they can't. What am I going to do? So I can't how do you get rid start? of this guy because I, how, I can't how do you shut start? the ministry down. Let, 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 let's go back to the, the image of the of the of the fig tree. So where would you begin? Like mm. anything, you've got to begin with the why. And I think if simply gathering together those in the positions of leadership. And when we first started doing the leadership summits, we knew that technically probably 50, 60 percent of the people in the leadership roles were not functioning as leaders. Here's the thing. It's not their fault. They, they no, didn't even know that they ought to be functioning as they leaders. They were never asked to They be. were never asked. No, in it's fact, not our it culture. Was probably it was, it was the contrary. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had, uh, when we first did the ME 
25 in our parish in the very first year, and that's a tool that's put out by Gallup to measure organizational health. One of our biggest weaknesses was in the question, the spiritual leaders of my parish seem to care about me as a person. Now, I didn't take it personally because I'd only been mm-hmm. in the parish for a few months, but when we, we had a when we looked at the low results in that question, we asked why, and we established some focus groups to, to open dialogue in different parts of the parish, and we found out that, not surprisingly, for most people, the spiritual leader of the parish was the guy with the collar, and that was it. Hmm. Uh, which, it, you know, for a parish that had, you know, 1,400 people on a weekend, it's kind of tough for me to be everyone's personal friend and to care personally about everyone. So we knew that we had to expand the, the understanding or the perception of what a leader was. And we found out very quickly that the ministry leaders did not see themselves as leaders. In fact, we, d- we, we hadn't even really defined what leadership was. That was a, another, that was another uh, duh mo- I was going to say it was a aha mo- moment, but it was really a <laughs> duh mo- moment because we had been talking, talking about, about leadership it, yeah. for some time and, and it was Tanya, again, who said, we, have we even defined what we mean? Because when you, we use the word leadership, people automatically think the priest or the, or the full-time hired uh, pastoral worker. So, mm. so we had to define leadership. But starting to bring people together and then inviting them to, to see their leadership differently. Ron, speaking to them mm. about, about impact and in, in how we can even inadvertently have negative impact, the importance of, of, of a healthy culture, inviting people to actually own their, their leadership. I remember the exercise, I think you led it, about mm. we, we worked with the parish leaders, the, the ministry leaders, to, to do an elevator pitch for their ministry, Rem- oh, remember? That was fun too. It was and like a was speed just, yeah. dating thing we did because, mm. people, again, people had never thought of it like that. Okay, I've got to own this. This is... I this. I'm driving this ministry. I'm leading this ministry. What's your vision? Mm. What's your dream for your ministry? And then are you raising up others? Are you actively raising up others? One of the things that we did just, if anybody's listening, thinking this stuff is making sense, how do I, where do I start? What do I do? I, I would say one of the things that we did, and I think it was really important, is that we just listed all of our ministries. I just list them all so that you, you put them on a piece of paper and go. How would you guys do that? Actually, uh, Deacon Mark did that. Or that's when we discovered oh, probably 16% of our 80 ministries were supported by staff and the rest were just floating. We're like, what? <laughs> oh, my heavens. But it's okay. You, you, know, you need to be able to define reality. That was a reality. But then to begin to say, okay, well, where, where are the ones with the most amount of people with the biggest opportunities? Right? Because not, not all ministries are the same in terms of scope and possible impact. And so prioritize. And then what we started to do is we'd call the ministry leader and we'd say, hey, listen, Love you to come in, love to talk to you about your ministry, and can we ask you to bring an apprentice with you? Mm. Of course, knowing full well, no one had an apprentice, but that's okay. Uh, you know, what's an apprentice? Well, an apprentice is somebody who you see uh, has capacity, uh, has heart for the ministry, is really uh, relatable to people, people like them. It doesn't have to be somebody that's been there for, beside you for 10 years. It could be somebody that came into the ministry, you know, six weeks ago, but you just see tons of capacity. And, and you'd like to breathe into them and, and, and you trust their opinions. Why don't you bring somebody like that with you? So I refuse to meet with people by themselves. And the reason I refuse to meet with people by themselves is because I know full well when it's just one-on-one, people hear, and this happens here sometimes, people hear things differently. And so they go away with a perspective. I would rather two people be in the room so that when they leave, they can unpack it together. Because sometimes people mishear or misunderstand or was focused on something while something else was being said. And there's a more complete 
response there or understanding. So that was helpful. But I would spend 75% of my time listening. Mm. First question I would always ask these ministry leaders is, can you tell me how come Jesus is so important to you? So many people have left the faith, but you haven't. Why? When have you felt closest to Jesus? And oftentimes the story they would tell me back, all of us, like it was the most, in, that's the most intimate place. Mm. Somebody's encounter with Christ. And once I understood that, my entire perspective, no matter if I thought I knew them before or I'm just meeting for the first time, now all of a sudden I feel so connected to that person. And oftentimes they'd say, what's yours? And I'd be able to share mine. And then all of a sudden there's this vulnerability-based trust. And then from there I'd say, how did you get involved in the ministry? Oh, that's interesting. Let me ask you something. What do you like about it? What's it do for you? How does it help you grow? What's it do for other people that serve in your ministry with you? What's that been like for you? What's the fruit of your ministry? If you're really successful, what does fruit look like? How would you define that? And so, again, nobody ever asked these people these questions. And so they're answering questions that they've probably never even asked themselves. And they start to get really excited about what they do. And then after I've listened to them, and I also ask them, where are you struggling? Because mm-hmm. if I'm a staff person and I'm not asking them where they're struggling, that means I really don't not interested in helping. And I am. Because at the end of that meeting, I want it to be their number one vision carrier. I want it to be their number one fan. I want it to be able to intercede for them accurately. And I want it to be able to place people and recognize things for them to help them solve their problems if and when those came up. But at, you know, after listening for about three quarters of the time, I'd say, hey, you know what? We've been, we've been working on some things too as a staff. And I'd love to share them with you. Would you be interested in hearing? And if you've listened to them, the answer is always yes. And then we'd paint the picture of the game plan. And we were just creating it at the time. We didn't have the, all the really cool icons and stuff like that. And I would let them know where I felt they fit in and what they thought of that. And then I'd talk about health versus toxicity because culture is important. And then we'd leave. When they came in we, and when they left, it was a totally different experience because they felt cared for, they felt listened to, they felt understood. And now they understood our vision and where we we're going. That, for me, is such an important place to start. Because in that, I would talk about the shift from doing leadership to leading. And probably about 25%, well, probably about 60% of those people said, I could never do that. That's not me. That's not what I signed up for. And, of course, it isn't what they signed up for. Yeah. But I would say to them, it's okay. We believe in you. We trust you. We want to work with you. And we'd like to help you evolve into that person. Yes. So we give them the choice. And, and some of the people, probably 20% said, actually, that's 100% not me. I'm not interested in doing that. I don't have the energy to do that. I'm too old. My time has passed. Uh, and I'd say, fair enough. Would you be willing to keep doing the scheduling? And could you help me identify somebody in your ministry that might be a good fit for that? And so that's how we transition. Mm-hmm. It took a long time. That's how long did short. it take? So I remember when you guys were meeting with I'd often walk down the hall and I'd see you in your office meeting with ministry leaders. How long did it take to, for even that initial first meeting to go through all the, all the different ministries? Uh, oh, yeah. It's a, the, each meeting I scheduled an hour, but how long? Weeks, months probably. Months. And it wasn't the only thing we were doing. We were still having leadership summits three times yes. a year. You were still speaking vision when you'd yes. communicate on Sundays. Like, and so that was just one of the we multiple were, We platforms. were coming at it from all directions. Yeah. We, were, we were featuring in our in our. Uh, parish communications, you know, stories of leaders. Right. that idea of how do we help people to think differently about leadership 
we started profiling leaders. Yeah. We told their stories. We about we talked about why they get what, what was their why behind their their ministry and and began to celebrate people's leadership. And eventually, we did actually get around to coming up with a definition of leadership. That's right. Yeah. So, Ron, I want I want uh, priests uh, who are listening. I want them to do the action what you just explained because I think mm. it's it's really powerful. But here's the problem I'm going to throw out to you. Most priests, especially outside of North America, they don't have a staff. They don't have a Ron to go and do this means. What would you have done, Father James, if you didn't have a Ron on staff, uh, which many of these priests don't have? What would you have done? Well, the first thing you've got to do is find key collaborators yes. who are going to work with you side by side. If you if you don't have a Ron who's, who's paid, I, there are amazing men and women in every parish who have a heart to see your parish be other than what it is. Ron was a Ron before he was paid. That's I didn't right. need to be paid to use my gifts. You didn't need to be paid I was in love all with that Jesus. time. Ron, you've always been Ron. <laughs> I could have saved all that money. There's Rons in every parish. That's the truth. Yes, the re- that's right. It is the truth. And what we don't do is we don't, we don't invite people to be all they can be. We invite them to be way less than they could be, which is not engaging for people so, who have capacity. So look at people who have those, those gifts, who have a, a desire to see uh, the parish be mobilized, who have a a great heart for people, really love people, and and approach them and, and present a vision uh, and and say, you know, I see in you these qualities. It's it's the whole thing of of building a senior leadership team. Many of our parishes have senior leadership teams, and it, they don't have any staff. It's it's people. They are including their leadership team inc- isn't staff. That's yeah. right. So it's it's uh, it's it's often parishioners, uh, and so you you work with those people. You need the. the the first thing you, you, you've got to do as a priest is you can't do it alone, and you've got to bring people around you, and then together you begin to mobilize on these things. Well, and for example, Dan, because great question, because it's a valid point. Say most of the world doesn't have that, in my experience so far. Uh, however, one of the things that we're doing with as we're coaching into pastors and their leadership teams, and what, many of them are completely volunteers, we're still developing a structure of support for ministries and leaders, and we're inviting these volunteer senior leadership team members to support one or two ministries. That doesn't mean they're doing the ministry work. It means they're supporting the people who are leaders, which is a mind-blowing for them, very exciting for them. It's like, what, yeah. I can do that? Like, it doesn't yeah. even dawn on them yeah. that they, because, and, and part of that is because they think top-down. And they, they think, okay, do, so do I have authority? Can I tell them what to do now? Is that what you're saying? It's like, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, can you love them into life? You, know, you said not delegate, but activate. Mm. Your job is to activate people, to that's catch right. them doing things right, to come alongside yeah. them, to understand them, to be their biggest vision to carriers. En- encourage them, yeah. to, to, to help them to, to think even bit bigger than what they're doing right now. Um, I love the, uh, you know, when, when different ministries or ministry leaders would be asked about your vision, like what's your vision for your particular ministry? And again, people had never been asked that question before because if you, if you dare to answer that question, it means you've got to own it. And it's not, you're not just doing it as a favor for father mm. or a favor or because no one else was there. So you got it by default. You got to claim it. Mm. And, and, and here's the thing. And the other side of it, there were, if you do go through this process, you will expose the weaker ministries, you know, so ministries that that no one feels a, a, a burning passion in their heart, no one is willing to step up. It's the kind of ministry that you've got to kind of berate and guilt people into <laughs> stepping up. That's a clear red flag. When when ministries <laughs> resort to guilt, to guilting people to to do it, that's a sign that it's not healthy. Uh, and and 
and literally is going to suck life out of people because it's got yeah. to begin with a with, with a passion in people's hearts. They, they really feel called to to do this ministry. Don't keep a thing going just because you would it would be sad you think if the it church stopped. Is supposed to have We're that, or you're to have you know it. that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it has it can come from a place of passion and a good fit for other people. Uh, to be honest with you, I've I've done tons of work in not for profits, particularly in the sporting world, and it's it's not that unsimilar to a church in in that you have very few employees and you have loads of volunteers and you have goals and dreams in mind. And boy, take a look at your local sports club, whether it's hockey, soccer, football, whatever it is, and look at how hard those volunteers work. They work full-time doing something else. Look how much time, energy, effort, dream. They stay up at night thinking of new practice plans and things like that. They they bring other people in to help coach with them. They they go get experts to do special things, to invest in these kids so that they can win games and everything. The human race is really good at being generous. We need a vision worth 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 our time, effort, and energy. And so often in the church, we have such small goals that great people are not needed. (laughs) You just need people to move stuff around and do stuff to go through the process. Oh, man, your church will never thrive unless you have a God-sized dream. Remember when we, another key part as, as the years went on of developing that leadership culture was inviting people to apprentice others and even to have what we call the leadership pipeline. So mm-hmm. the idea is that we, we, we put before uh, the different ministries, think about an entry-level role uh, for people in your ministry because often what it was was the people in the leadership role basically did everything in terms of organization and, and everyone else just took a turn doing the same thing. There was no diversification of responsibilities. There was no... Uh, gradations of responsibilities. There was, there was no. It was either you were in or you were out. It was all or nothing. And the person in the leadership role pretty much did everything around organizing. And we had to kind of break into that and say, you know, your goal as a leader almost is is to work yourself out of a job. Like mm. begin to share that responsibility and 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 have a, a pipeline for it for people to go into it. And I'd say that certainly not all of our ministries got there over time. There were some that just didn't develop it, but some ministries really did. And it was quite remarkable. They had, they were ministries, therefore, that we could send new people to because we knew that they would be welcomed Mm -hmm. and they would be affirmed and they would be given gradual degrees of responsibility. And I remember one moment, it was, I'll never forget this, when someone came up to me after Mass and it was the Father... Um, I'm moving. I'm moving back to the country in, in a couple of months, so I'm going to have to step down from leading this ministry. But I didn't get the so he, here's the keys. You can have the keys back. <laughs> what I got was well, I've been I've been apprenticing this person for six months, and she's ready to step into. It. I'm completely confident, and I'm in the act of handing over responsibility right now. She's on board with the vision. It's like hallelujah. That's mm. it. That's that's people owning. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, they're, they're owning a ministry, and they're, they're moving with it. And can I say something? I'm just mindful of uh, my buddy Paul, uh, who heard what was being said, lived it out to its fullest. I've never seen somebody as good as he was at raising other people up, and he thought his success was working himself out of a job. So I remember at one point he was doing our Eucharistic ministry, and, and, uh, and then he was gone. Like he wasn't doing it anymore. He was doing, he did such a crazy job. Like he's yeah. probably one of our best leaders at living out these principles. I mean, I just loved watching him. And I remember saying to him one time, I said, Paul, 
you're not doing this anymore? He's like, no, I, I got somebody else to do it. I said, well, but why? <laughs> he said, well, wasn't I supposed to? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, it, it, you don't work yourself out of a job. It's like you're working yourself. Yes. Like, like you're sharing yeah. responsibility. Stuff. But I, I always say, you know, your, your entry point into any ministry should be low responsibility, low influence. And, yes. and each level of the pipeline, you grow in influence and you grow in responsibility. At the upper end, where it's easy entry, I expect high turnover. Mm. I expect people to be moving or moving on, one of the two. But the further you go down that pipeline, the less the turnover is. See, the goal is to be fruitful. Yes. Not to do the... And so if you can be fruitful in that ministry for a long time by raising up all kinds of other people that go on to do great things, I want you to stay there for life or longer. It's not a matter of a term. Yes. Like sometimes people do that too. They put in terms because it's like, I don't want to have that awkward conversation with... Dan, because he's terrible, and so I'm just going to put a term in place, and that way at least I know in three years he'll be gone. But well, so will your good people. Yeah, but, but here's the thing. When an organization lives by policy or rules, it's, it's, it's usually because there's, no, there's not a healthy culture. Uh, yeah. And you've got to at some point make a transition. I mean, there's some cases, uh, again, if you're not willing to have those difficult conversations, you're going you're gonna to be very grateful for terms because at least <laughs> a year from now, this person will be gone. Yeah. That, that, that's not the best way to approach this. No, love it. One of the, uh, the things we've talked about is, um, I, I think you said, Father James, it was about uh, when, you're, when you've got someone on team that, that, that can be challenging and how you approach those conversations. And it got me thinking, well, what if we don't yet have someone on team? What if the, what if the role is vacant? What if you've got a ministry role that's just vacant and it's not a ministry that people are afraid of, but like, how do you, how do you identify and bring someone in? Like, how, what's that conversation even look like? And what are some of those things that you'd, you'd want to do to make sure you're staging it so that they can come in in a good way? I mean, like a, a particular parish ministry? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would gather the team together and, and have an honest conversation about where they see this ministry and what are the levels of, of a sense of calling to, to this ministry. And to be honest, if, if no, in that ministry, if the team is looking at you and saying, None of us want to step into leadership, so Father, it's up to you to go out and find us someone. Then I would say that ministry. No, if it's a mini- liturgical ministry, you don't have a choice. If it's, I was just to about to say that. I mean, it's not like you can say, "Well, we don't need We're not anyone giving to out communion anymore." To, you know, exactly. Let's let's forget about giving out communion. So, I mean, there are some ministries because of the way we do things. You have to find someone. Uh, but I think of some of the other ministries, if, if again, if there's not a passion for it, let it go. And when we entered into what I call phase two of, of renewal at, at, at St. Benedict, so right in our fourth year, you know, we had begun to get momentum on the key cultures. We were becoming healthy. Uh, we were we had a culture of evangelization and discipleship and a culture of ministry. We had a high involvement um, so all, all these all these shifts were, were beginning to happen. But one of the things we had to tackle next was we had to simplify. We had to move, lean into the kind of less is more philosophy. I had always been about the more the merrier philosophy and discovered that it wasn't actually merrier at all. At least not for everybody. People were, <laughs> I love the chaos, but people were ready to kill me. So we, we actually moved into a place where we were intentional about saying no to new ideas. And secondly, that we weren't going to keep on life support ministries that just mm. needed to, it was their time, it was their time to go. Mm. Well, we didn't kill, we didn't go out and kill them, but we just let them die. Mm. Uh, we don't believe in euthanasia. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we just allowed, it's an important distinction, we allowed ministries to die. And we had a bit of a joke at some point when when unhealthy ministries would, would, would pack up, we'd have a little 
celebration. It was like, yay, you know, because in the end, uh, it's better to have fewer ministries that are robust and healthy and led by passionate, capable that leaders fruit. that are yep. bearing fruit than, than bringing with us all these ministries that are basically dragging us down because no one really is passionate enough about it to actually step up and own it. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to... Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, let's go back to that question because I, I, <laughs> it's really important because sometimes you just need to fill the hole. Like, yeah. let's be honest. Like, sometimes, like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Somebody needs to open the church and get stuff ready. And, oh, you know, so so we do guilt people and stuff. And, and it's, So let's be honest. As, however, this is why Alpha is critically important to everything you do. Because at Alpha, you have dinner with people 11 weeks in a row. And guess what happens? You fall in love with them, but you also get to know what they might be good at because you get to know their personalities. And unless you are constantly getting to know people and growing in relationship with people, you're going to have all kinds of problems forever and out of day. You're not going to be able to do any of this stuff without authentic relationships. That's right. So if you don't have a tool in your church to build authentic relationships ongoing as a part of your culture this all of this other stuff is wishful thinking well you could always stand up at the end of mass and say we need five people (laughs) to teach sunday school and if you don't volunteer obviously no one here cares for our young people (laughs) i'll be at the back to take names you know generally that it it kind of works sometimes but it's it it's it's not very fruitful and most and often it, it's just um, that was it, in the appendix of the guidebook, right? Like I've been there, I've been there, and I've done that. And I think most parish leaders have, and it's yeah. people end up saying, "Well, I guess it's I guess I'll, I'll do it. It's my I'll turn. Do, it's my turn." Yeah. And it's 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 a burden. It's not it's not something that's joyful. And I think of the parish purpose to to raise up uh, disciples who joyfully live mm. out the mission of Jesus Christ. We want people to be joyful. You know, if your ministry is a burden to you, guess what? Your exercise of that ministry will be a burden to others. Amen. If it's if it's if it's not if the burden is light and it's joyful and life giving, it will be joyful. Your exercise of that ministry will bring joy and life to others. Can I speak into something around that? I was just talking to two of my, our friends, uh, John and Rosemary Keene, who really feel called to bless marriages. So somebody invited them to experience the marriage course they loved, and they challenged them, "Would you be willing to do this?" Mm-hmm. And they thought, you know what? Marriages are under attack. Mm-hmm. We need to help support families by, and it's great. We always had a vision for that as a tool yes. for pre-evangelization. Like what, you don't have to be Christian or believe in God to, to know how hard marriage is and communication. Mm-hmm. And so it's such an easy bridge for people who aren't in the church. Well, what they've been doing so far, 50% of the people taking the marriage course aren't connected with the church at all. Oh, what wow. a great tool for pre-evangelization. And then the other part is how can we, we as leaders decide, is this a priority for us? And if so, how can we work together? Or, because you said earlier, when we want to simplify things, sometimes that means saying no. And so that's hard because there's lots of good ideas. I remember somebody coming to me one time with this great idea to pray for politicians and really had an honest, authentic call. But then they also wanted us to make the whole church do it. And it's like, well, no, you're, you're welcome to do it, though, and grab some of your friends. Like, no, I think that's great. But, and so it's sometimes hard as you unleash people in, in their gifts because sometimes a lot of good ideas can come forward. And that, makes it, that creates a problem in and of itself. And so then you're discerning what's consistent with where we're going and what we want to do and what is a distraction and watering down our focus. It's hard. I remember one, one time being in conversation with Father Simon and saying to him, uh, you know, it's not bad ideas that, that could take us down. It's good ideas. Uh, and it's more difficult to say no to a good idea. 
one of you know what is critical to mobilization of any parish is these threefold conversion. You know, parishes are changed when people are changed. What's the change in people? Conversion to Christ, conversion to Christ church, conversion to Christ cause, to Christ, to Christ church, to Christ cause. It's easy to remember. The whole thing is that that you can get involved in ministry out of a sense of of this is the morally right thing to do and this is what is going to make the world a, a better place. But I think authentic Christian ministry is rooted in a, a love of others through a love mm. of the person of Jesus Christ. And so the more the, the, the deeper we're in love with him and in intimacy with him, the more fruitful our ministry will be. Conversion to Christ's church, that's not an abstraction. It's not about, you know, my conviction about the the um, the reality of the church. It was founded by Jesus. It's not it's not so much that as the experience of church's community. So my conversion to to community as being essential that I know I can't be who I'm called to be unless I have that experience of community. Finally, conversion to Christ's cause, the mission, the mission to go make disciples, the mission to to make an impact on the world. Like that's got to be personally owned. Again, going back to the the first thing we talked about, if the mission is primarily the the the, the locus of ownership of mission is is in the person of the priest. The, you ne- as a layperson, you're never going to own the mission. Your mission, the the sacrament of mission, is baptism, not ordination. Ordination is 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 as a your, our ministry is ordered in a particular way to the service of the church to to preach, to sanctify, and to govern, to lead. And leadership is about unlocking the fruitfulness of others to mobilize others. So um, there needs to be this threefold conversion. And Alpha does that. That's what we see in Alpha. I mean, you, people get converted to all three, and then it creates a problem. It does. <laughs> so you get all these people who are just like alive <laughs> and are like want to do everything. And it's like, okay, this was easier when we were sleepy. You know, when we were Saint Saint Sleepyville. You know, it's Saint Sleepyville. Now we've got all these spiritual toddlers who are making a bit of a mess, and it and it's good stuff. And you don't want to discourage them. And any right. parent knows this. If you've got a, a, a precocious uh, three-year-old who's curious and, and <laughs> you don't want to uh, discourage, but there's a certain level uh, or else your, your, your home is going to end up in chaos. Guys, I'm going to have to cut you off here and I'm going to create a problem as well. We are out of time. <laughs> oh my goodness, we were just getting started. It just flew by, but here's, there is a solution. So for those, those people who've been listening and joining us, uh, Ron, you did a great series of videos unpacking how to use Alpha as your leadership pipeline. That's it within the Divine Renovation Network. So if you and your parish aren't yet part of the Divine Renovation Network, uh, there's a whole series of videos specifically that, that goes into what we're, some of what we've been talking today. There's also a whole bunch of other resources that would be available to you. And as many as as important as those resources are, uh, by joining the Divine Renovation Network, it's also an indicator of your parish's desire to move from maintenance to mission, and it helps enable this ministry. It allows us to help other parishes all over the world. So I'm hoping that you might feel called to join the Divine Renovation Network. And if you are, you'll see more of us there. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait till the next podcast. So we look forward (laughs) to seeing you again sometime in the next week or so. God bless.